welcome back to yet another episode of Proverbs and Parables. Um, if you guys haven't listened to any of our episodes before this episode, I would highly recommend going back and listening and just catching up and seeing what you guys are missing out on because uh, you may be missing out on a bunch. Anyways, today we're going to be talking about James 1, 19 through 21, and it's going to be such a good episode. But first of all, Nick, how you doing? Oh, snap. We're back. Uh, I'm doing great, Michael. If if y'all listened to the episode that was posted right before this, you know we took a huge hiatus, big six-month break, but we're back. I'm so glad to be back. Talking about James, kind of, we, we stopped at a natural breaking point in the scripture, but we were really excited about the chunk we're going to talk about today. So I'm super excited to be back and recording and getting into James 1, 19 through 21. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. It's going to it's gonna be really good. We got a lot. We got a, well, the Lord actually has a lot hidden in this verse that we can definitely talk about. So, all right, well, let's just hop into it. You ready? Let's do it. You want to, you want to read the the verses we're going to be rolling through today? Absolutely. I got it. So James 1, 19 through 21, this is the ESV version. All right. So hearing and doing the word, know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Mm. Wow. That's good. There, There is so much in these three little verses, and it's it's kind of crazy. But do you want to kind of – what is the theological principle that James is talking about here? Yeah. So when I – I think it's funny. This verse is probably one of the best known but least – adhered to verses in the Bible. You know, so many people, they may not know that it's James 119, but they'll quote to you, hey, be quick to hear, slow to speak, you know, be slow to anger, you know, but it's it's very well known. It's up there with like John 316, but it's so seldom practiced. Um, and so it's, I love that we get to talk about it today, but yeah, we're going to be following that same structure from past videos. We're going to, we're our podcasts, uh, It'll be, we're going to talk about the theological principle. What is what is the scripture trying to communicate to us? We're going to give a biblical example, talk about where else is this in the Bible, and we'll roll into application. So starting with the, the principle, as, as Michael and I were talking through these verses a few days ago, verse 20, we felt really stood out as the center focus of this chunk. Um, verse 20 again is, For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so when we were thinking through this, praying through this, um, what kind of stood out to us is that human anger does not accomplish the goals of a righteous God. And so that brought us into this idea of what is human anger? Why does James go to the trouble to distinguish human anger and not just anger? He says the anger of man uh, rather than anger, because then that would loop in the anger of God also. So there's this clear difference between the anger of man and the anger of God, and that the anger of man does not accomplish God's goals. So we, we felt that that was what the Spirit was revealing to us. Um, he may have shown something else to you guys, but that's what we're going to talk about today, is that human anger does not accomplish the goals of God. Um, so Michael, I mean, when you hear the the anger of man, like what do you think of? What is the anger of man? 
Oh my goodness, yes. So the anger of man. Um, so there's a story I'm reminded about when we kind of talk about this, but we'll jump into that in a little bit. Um, but I think James is really onto something when he says the anger of man does not produce righteousness. The righteous, it's not just any kind of righteousness, it's the righteousness of God. So because we all know that God has this righteous anger, but it is not the same kind of anger that we experience. So therefore, I think that this human anger is more sinful, I guess, in a way. Um, it tends to tear apart relationships or kind of just miss the focus of whatever's going on. And I think that this human anger can look like, I don't know, it can look like a lot. I don't know. For some reason right now when I'm thinking about human anger, I'm thinking about road rage. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Because I feel like that is just such an easy way for us to become so easy and just mad at people. And by like, when you think about road rage, do you think about how that is a righteous anger? Or, or maybe if you're a parent, I know Nick, you're expecting a baby. Like, I bet there's gonna be times when your kid probably annoys you, and it's not a righteous anger because you're. It, it'll probably be a, like it's almost like an anger out of annoyance instead of an anger out of love. Yeah. And I think that God. Although he does and can probably get annoyed with us and have that kind of anger, he still his anger is still rooted in love, and he just gets frustrated with us when we disobey him and go against what he's called us to do or he's telling us or when we go against what he's taught us in his word. Um, so I think a really good um, example of this would be found in Numbers 20, verse 9 through 13, which I'm actually going to flip there. Nick, if you just want to... Take it away from yeah. there. Well, well while Michael's really finding uh, that, that biblical example we're going to walk into, something we talked about the other day is that anger in and of itself, anger is not evil. Uh, we know that God possesses anger. He feels anger. Often in the Old Testament, we'll hear the phrase, and, and the anger of the Lord burned against Israel. So we know that God is capable of being angry. And that's why James says the human anger is uh, cannot accomplish God's righteous goals. The, the, the issue with it is anger is a characteristic of God, which gets back into uh, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, talking about being made in the image of God. We possess characteristics of our God. Anger is one of them. But the reason that it's different than God's anger is because it was twisted by the fall, right? So God has anger. We possess anger at our creation. And then... As a result of the fall, our anger becomes short-sighted. So I think what makes human anger human, makes it the anger of man, is the timeline, right? And Michael kind of alluded to it, talking about like the impatience of road rage, right? We're annoyed when things happen while we're driving because we're impatient. It's all about the timetable. And because God is outside of time, and he does not perceive time like we perceive time, he sees the grand scheme, and his anger isn't because... It isn't short-sighted like ours, right? So when we when we experience something, hear something, feel something, and it makes us angry, our anger is, I, I would venture to say, 90% of the time, very short-sighted. We're, we're looking at what the consequence is right now. God looks at the consequences long-term. That's why when his anger burns against Israel, he's angry because of what's going to happen. He's not angry because of what happened. He's saying, oh, well, you sinned today, but your sons and your grandsons will pay for it. 
or Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, but all humanity would now suffer. He's angry because he sees the long term. We're angry because we see the short term. Um, and we get a great example of that, that Michael's about to read for us in Numbers 20. Definitely. Yeah. So in Numbers 20, verse 9, uh, just for a little bit of context, this is the, this is the part in uh, the 40 years in the desert where people, the Israelite people are starting to complain and get uh, really annoyed with um, ha- not having food or water or whatever. And so previously Moses struck a rock and then water came flowing out. And this was water that, you know, the Israelites can continue to go to. But so there was another point in this exile or not exile, but just exile in the desert. How you down? Um, that the Israelite people start nagging Moses saying, we need more water. We need more water. And Moses is getting frustrated with them. So I'm just going to pick it up in verse nine. Okay. So verse 9, Numbers 20, verse 9. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord, and as he commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock, and he said to Moses, and he said to them, Hear now, you rebels, shall we bring water for you out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock with his staff twice. The water came out abundantly, and the congregation drank, and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Because you do not believe me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel, therefore you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These were the waters of Meribah, Meribah, Meribah? <laughs> where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. So right before this happened, um, Moses and God kind of were having this conversation, and then there, uh, God was telling Moses that he needs to go speak to the rock instead of strike it like he did the previous time. And so we experienced this. If you, if you really like try to put yourself in Moses' shoes, this guy is leading almost a million people in the desert. And so everyone, the, the pressure is on him, but Moses is also the guy who's doing all the communicating with God and all the talking with God. Um, because before, uh, when Moses goes up to Mount Sinai to write the Ten Commandments and everything, God actually commands all of Israel to go up on the mountain and to worship him, but all of Israel just go to the base of the mountain, while Moses was the only one to actually go to the top. So Moses is the guy that has the relationship with God, and so he's now being fed up with the Israelites, and then he kind of goes into the presence of God. And um, Nick and I were definitely talking about this kind of like principle why did, why did he strike the rock twice instead of just talking to the rock as God commanded him? Nick, I actually want to bring up your example that you said, and I'm actually going to let you talk about it. It's kind of like he was angry, and then he went into the presence of God, mm. and then he wasn't angry. Yeah. And then and then he went back, and then he was angry, and that's how the disobedience came out. So Right. Yeah, yeah. So, Nick, if you just want to like talk about what happened, what went wrong mm. in this little passage, because this, this act that no, Moses did, he struck the rock twice, that actually caused him— and the people of Israel not to go into the promised land. Right. So, so yeah, Michael, so that scripture that Michael read, um, we pick we picked up ver, uh, Numbers 20, verse 9, is when Moses goes back to Israel. But like he said, right before that, Moses had gone to God uh, because Israel was complaining they had no water again. This happened several times in their 40-year journey. They're, they get upset, and they're like, you know what? I don't know if this God's really worth following. We don't even have any water. And so Moses goes again to God, and he he's I we imagine very frustrated because this is happening again, and 
uh, Moses brings this problem to God. He says, Lord, you know, they, they want water. Of course, I'm paraphrasing here. They want water. There is no water here. What, you know, what do I do about that? Would you give us some water? What am I supposed to do? And God, I'm sure, is also very frustrated because he, he's given Israel freedom from slavery. He's given them food falling from the sky. He's given them water from before. And so God says, all right, you know, God is then prompted. He has every right to be angry, to have righteous anger. But what we see God do is he doesn't say, you know what? Forget these people. They don't believe in me. They don't trust me. Smite them all down and we'll start over, Moses. Because he's, he's promised that he's going to commit to getting them to the promised land that he's offered and, and given. So he says, okay, they, they're, they're still not trusting. I'm going to give them another reason to trust me. And that's what we're going to do. So Moses comes up. He's frustrated. We're, I'm sure God is frustrated. And he says, go to the rock and command the rock to give them water. And then the, the implication there is when you command the rock in my name and water comes out, they're going to trust me more. They're going to trust that I am providing the water. I have done this great thing, right? Everything is for God's glory. And then Moses says, okay. And then Moses is like, he's down with that. He's ready to go. And his anger kind of, kind of simmers down a bit. And then he goes back to Israel and it says um, that essentially as soon as he got back, the, it's clear that the people of Israel are badgering him. They're like, all right, what did God say? Let's get this water. Let's get this water. What are you going to do? What are you going to do? And, he's, and he says, um, you know, should I make water come out of this rock for you? And he's clearly frustrated again. So as soon as he left the presence of God and he returns to the problem, he, he has the anger of man. He's acting in short-sighted foolishness because he's no longer in the presence of God. And that, I, for Michael and I, was just a, a great illustration of when we're talking to God, when we're in something with God, it's a lot harder to be short-sighted. It's a lot harder to be frustrated. But then the second we go back to the people, we go back to the problem, the stressor, it's so easy to just shift our eyes right back down to the ground. And it's so much easier to just go, okay, you know what? This is my problem now. And so what does Moses do? He says, this is my problem. I have to solve it. He completely forgets what God told him and he strikes the rock with his staff. Now God doesn't say, you know, God doesn't allow that to just be some foolish act. God still makes water come out of the rock, right? He strikes the rock, water bursts out of it. And then Israel gives Moses the credit. And that's why God's angry, you know, because God doesn't say, Oh, because you ignored me. He says, because you made the water come out of the rock from your staff and I no longer have the glory. You claimed the victory. So not only were you angry, you were prideful and you have taken upon yourself what was supposed to be my glory. You've stolen my glory. And so his punishment that a lot of people think, oh, this is so harsh. His punishment is you will never see the promised land. And that's a lot bigger deal than it seems like on the surface because Moses has been leading these people through the desert for 40 years. He's seen an entire generation live and die in the desert. And now God says, oh, that promised land, you will not see it. You will, well, he, he doesn't say you won't see it. He says you will not enter it. So Israel's going to go to the promised land, but you're not going to go with them because you took my glory. You stole what was mine. They complained, but you stole from me, so you will not enter. And so if Moses hadn't acted in such short-sighted anger, he would have seen, he would have accomplished the goals of God. So like, like James says, James says, for the anger of man, this is verse 20, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
the righteousness of God was stolen because of the anger of man in this case. So Moses acts out of selfish ambition, he acts out of anger, and he takes the righteousness of God. Yeah, and then when he he acted on his anger, he immediately disobeyed what God had strictly commanded him to do. Because God is so holy, he has, like, we have to do things the way he's commanded us to do. And then if you want to fast forward to Judges real quick, you know, God tells them to drive out the land. And then um, the Israelites, you know, it's a, it's a common theme for the Israelites to take what God does and then does it kind of, it's like a half obedience. I still think that half obedience is still disobedience, which um, still kind of hits me today sometimes. It's just like, oh, yikes called out, call myself out. But like Moses half obeyed this holy command from this holy God. Um, and so, yeah, you, you just see that theme with the, the people of Israel in Judges. You know, they half obey God. They do exactly what God says, but in their own way. And so this is like God is a covenantal God. So there are conditions to this covenant that he's made with his people, but he still loves his people unconditionally. But he cannot dwell. He is so holy that he cannot dwell amongst disobedience and unholiness. So that is also another reason why that like this is such a little thing that allowed the people not to go into the promised land. And you know, it it's kind of frustrating because you're as the reader, I'm frustrated for Moses. I'm just like, dude, come on, really? You hit it twice? And now you can't even send the people into Israel and like you can't go in. And it's funny because the Bible actually mentions before this account that the people of Israel weren't or they were already not going to go into the promised land. And so this is the second time that it is mentioned that the people of Israel won't go into the promised land, except for this is the time that it also applies to Moses and Aaron, which is like big time, like oof. So, yeah. Um... Yeah, another another verse that came to mind that we we won't talk about for too long, but um, to kind of bring it full circle through into the New Testament, you know, Michael just mentioned that the people did what God said, but they did it how they thought they should do it. That was that was evident in Jesus's ministry, because when he goes to these Pharisees and he goes to these people who are supposed to know the law and are supposed to practice the law, he constantly has to clarify it. You know, he says, you've heard it said this, but I say this. So he's telling them, yeah, you think you're doing what you're supposed to be doing, but you have no idea that what you're doing is not at all what God intended from his command. You think you're keeping the command, but you're totally sidestepping it because you think you know better. And so they're, in a way, they're committing the same sin that Moses committed, but it's in this new lens through the ministry of Christ. And so Paul, in Ephesians chapter 4 uh, comments on this. He said, Ephesians chapter 4, 26, he says, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. So Paul at this point is talking about being unified in Christ. And so he's saying, if you're angry perpetually and you have short-sighted human anger, you are not united in Christ. So when James says that the, that the anger of man does not, does not, uh, what's the word he uses, accomplish or produce, does not produce the righteousness of God, uh, this is not just an Old Testament idea, because obviously we know the book of James is in the New Testament. Um, James, I'm sure we've said it before, I, I'm certain we have, James is the half-brother of Jesus. So he listens to Jesus preach his ministry, and then he comments on it uh, the same way Paul does, though Paul wasn't there for Jesus' ministry. Uh, check out Acts, the book of Acts, it's kind of wild. Uh, 
Um, but Paul says the same thing. He says, <laughs> yeah, right. He says, be angry and do not sin. So he doesn't say, do not be angry because it will not produce the righteousness of God. He says, be angry and do not sin. He says, feel the righteous anger, but then don't be short-sighted. Feel the anger and give it to God. Don't let the sun go down on it. So there's a lot of like read between the lines when Paul says this, but it connects so beautifully to James because there is righteous anger, but it is not the anger of man. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And I love how Paul continues on with verse 27. He's like, and give no opportunity to the and give no opportunity to the devil to like commit sinful acts. So there is a way that we can be angry and not sin, which is pretty cool, which kind of leads us to like the big question. All right. So what is the life application? Like, how do you, how do you have this righteous anger or what are we, what, what should we, what should we do? And I, and I think the life application is pretty straightforward in verse 19, which is, uh, be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. So I think, I think those, those three things kind of like weave together, but one, you need one before the next one, before the next one. And so when be quick to hear, so what does that mean? Um, when you're quick to hear, you're kind of taming the tongue, which spoiler alert, that's coming up. Um, so when you're having a conversation with people, like be quick to listen, just be quick to like really listen, not just listen to then come up with an answer to that fight them back, but actually pay attention to what they're saying and how they're saying it and ask clarifying questions. Because if something doesn't make sense, then you can just jump in and counter argument right there. And that is not being quick to hear, but then also slow to speak. So when you're quick to hear, you're slow to speak. And so when you speak slowly, you let your thoughts kind of like guide your tongue in what you're trying to say um, based off of what you just heard because you're listening. And then when you're slow to speak, you kind of go into this process of being slow to anger. Be careful what you're saying and how you're saying it. Don't let like, don't let what you're saying let you slip into anger. Like if something frustrates you, ask a clarifying question. Or be open and say, hey, this doesn't make sense to me and it's kind of driving me nuts. Um, but I always find it so interesting when I'm reading this, these three verses that James puts the life application before the actual, uh, uh, the reason why. So um, we honestly, well, if we look at the teachings of Jesus and what he said, Jesus actually does this too. Um, and I think that there is a very good reason on why Jesus does this too. Yeah, so like Michael just said, James we know is is commenting on and expanding on the teachings of Jesus. So the way that Jesus teaches, uh, it's, it's likely that James is going to follow the same pattern. Uh, as you read through the book of James, specifically chapter 1, um, you'll see huge parallels, very clear parallels between James chapter 1 and Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, and you you may recognize those three chapters as the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus gives this wildly popular and often quoted sermon up on this mountain um, to his disciples, to those who follow him. He gives this Sermon on the Mount, and James is very clearly drawing from the same structure that Jesus uses in the Beatitudes, which is a, a huge part of the Sermon on the Mount in uh, Matthew chapter 5. I'm just going to rattle off a few of them. Uh, to, to illustrate this this parallel. So 
Some of you may recognize these, the Beatitudes. Uh, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And it goes on. There's several more. Uh, but Jesus has this structure of be this, and then he gives the reason. He doesn't say, for example, if you want to inherit the kingdom of heaven, be poor in spirit. He doesn't say, if you want to be comforted, you should mourn. Uh, and there's a lot tied up in that that we won't get into. But he gives what you should do before why you should do it. And that's not something that we would expect out of Jesus or James. Because if you're trying to convince somebody to do something, you're usually going to give them a reason up front. Because as a, as a human race, we want to know that what we're being asked to do is for a good enough reason. So we're going to ask for a rationalization before we're willing to do anything. But when Jesus teaches this way, he's very clearly giving us the instruction before the reason so that we follow the instruction even when we don't understand, right? So he says, do this, and then he leaves it at that, and then he says, oh, and this is the result. He, he doesn't say, he doesn't give you all the reasons you should follow him. He just says, pick up your cross and follow me. Leave all that you have and follow me. And for some of these disciples, it took them months, months to figure out what, why should I follow this guy? But they trusted and they had faith up front to say, yeah, I'm going to go with him. He didn't say, oh, do you want to be rich? Follow me. Spoiler alert, Jesus doesn't promise you wealth. In fact, he says the exact opposite. But he didn't say, oh, do you want something? You want your life to have meaning? Follow me. He doesn't say, oh, you want to be important? Follow me. He just says, no, 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 put, put down your nets, pick up your cross and follow me. Yeah. And then he reveals the truth. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. That just reminds me of the last chapter in John where Peter is just like, well, what about, you know, the, the certain things and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, Peter's just starting to like ask God about all these things or ask Jesus about all these things. And Jesus is like, what does that matter to you? You follow me. And it's just like, oh, like God calls us or Jesus calls us to live by faith, not by sight. So he, yeah. he says like, you said it. You So I wrote down what you said when we talked about this, and it says, Jesus shows us the life application first because he requires us to live by faith and to trust his teaching. But oftentimes yeah. people want to see the value before committing to the discipline, which is not living by faith. You know, you want to see what you're going to get before you do it. And so Jesus just calls us to do it. So I think that is like a huge takeaway. And, you know, I love... I'm just starting to know this now, but like verse 21, it says, and receive with meekness the implanted word. And if you think about it, Jesus is the word. And then James then says, which is able to save your soul. So when you like receive the word and implant that within your life, it is able to save your soul, the word being Jesus. So if you were like, I love it because it's it's the gospel message right there in these three verses. It's just like, this is like how to live and then like the gospel. And it's just like allow Jesus to really come into your life and then to rule over your life. And then he will teach you to live and how to be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger. Because I think this is a kingdom discipline instead of worldly discipline. So like you can't understand these disciplines if you have a view of the world or culture or if you're in the world or culture but if you really are a part of the kingdom of god and if you're saved then jesus is the one who can reveal this kingdom discipline to you which yeah is so good 
Yeah. And this will this will be my only rant for the whole episode, I promise. <laughs> but in case you're not sure that James is drawing heavily from the Sermon on the Mount, um, take a look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Jesus, these are the words of Jesus. He says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. James says in verse 21, Therefore put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with, you guessed it, meekness, Ayo. the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. So James says, if you are meek, you ought to receive the implanted word. Jesus says, if you are meek, you will inherit the earth. And I love what Michael said, that, that Jesus is the implanted word. Jesus being in Jesus is receiving and inheriting the earth, the new earth, uh, to both exercise dominion over what is now and have citizenship to what is coming. That only comes if you've received the implanted word, which is the Christ. Like, and back to what Paul said, like to be one in Christ, be angry and do not sin, because James says, the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So if you ever hear somebody say, Scripture is not consistent. Scripture doesn't reference itself. Scripture doesn't make any sense if you put all the pieces together. They're wrong. They're liars. They yeah. are liars. And the enemy is using them to to, to push you away because the, the parallels are there. Um, but they're not, you know, they're, it, your Bible isn't going to say, and now see Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Though some translations do now on the YouVersion app. But mm -hmm. like James is commenting on the words of his brother because... He thinks they're important, right? So anyway, that's going to be my only mini rant other than this one other thing I'm going to say. Okay, It's say part it. of the same rant. It's one rant, one rant. Um, but bef yeah, before we kind of close out, um, if, if you heard everything we said in this episode and you're like, that was a lot of biblical words, that was, I don't know about all that. To wrap up the application, I've heard many wise people say this to me. It's not from the Bible, but it's based on this verse. Um, Michael, I'm sure you've heard it too. Uh, the, the phrase, when God created us, he gave us two ears and one mouth and we ought to use them proportionally. Like God gave us two ears so that we listen more than we talk. And if you don't listen at least twice as much as you talk, you're probably not quick to hear and slow to speak. And as a result, you are probably not slow to anger. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Hmm. Oh, love it. That is James chapter 1, 19 through 21. Um, I've got nothing else to add. I think what was said was pretty on point, I would say. That is that is the podcast episode then. Boom. I mean, do you have anything else to add? <laughs> I Yeah, I don't think so. You okay. Know, um, I, I'm so glad that we're back and recording. Yes. It's, it's so good. Just to, like, forget the podcast, Michael. Forget the podcast. Forget the, the recording. Forget the Spotify, all that junk. Just, I just miss talking to you about the Bible, Honestly, man. Honestly, like, me too. <laughs> like, we we said, we said, I think, in, like, the .5, like, introduction episode, we decided to do this podcast because we would just go to the gym, get coffee that was really gross, yeah. full of protein powder, and we would do this anyway for 45 minutes. Yeah. And so, but we, we started doing that because we enjoyed talking to each other about Scripture. And, I mean, we, I hope that translates to you guys. Like, you can see that... We're not just passionate about the word, but we're passionate about each other. We love each other, um, and we love God. And we're we're. I'm so glad that like those things can come together um, once again. I I just yeah I just miss talking about James with you. It's our yeah. it's oh, I won't say our. It's my favorite book of the Bible. Oh, it's one of um, mine. It's definitely one of dude, them. Yeah, it's it's so good. It um, really is so good. 
Yeah, and I'm glad everybody who may be listening to this is here with us to hear these conversations. And hopefully you're having these kinds of conversations with your close friends, your brothers, your sisters in Christ and of blood uh, that you feel like you can just chat about scripture and and really dive into what God would have you hear on any given day. Definitely. Yeah, we hope you you enjoyed it and you were edified. Um, Good talk. Yeah, good talk. Shalom. Thank you for listening to Proverbs and Parables. If you were encouraged by today's episode, make sure you leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening from. If you want to connect with us, send us an email at proverbsandparablespc at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening, and we will catch you in the next episode.